The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 17. And the title of the message is, You Can Know God. And I love this. Uh, Very, very excited about tonight and about this message. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. And we thank you for this sermon from the Apostle Paul. And Lord, here Paul is in this beautiful, uh, luxurious, rich, cultured city, a famous city of the ancient world in Athens. And Paul gets invited to go to their main stage and theater, the Areopagus, and there to present what to them is brand new. But what to you was what you foretold all the way back to Abraham 2,000 years earlier, that the Messiah would come, that he would come from heaven, that he would die as a lamb, is slaughtered and his body broken, his blood shed, and on the third day rise again from the dead. And I just thank you, Father, that we get tonight to, I, I get to preach Paul's sermon. I get to let Paul preach again what he preached at the days of the early church in the book of Acts and how it literally rocked the ancient Roman world. It rocked the city of Athens and the country of Greece and it planted a church that is there thriving to this day. So may we hear what the Spirit would say to us tonight in Jesus' wonderful, mighty name we pray and everyone said, amen. Okay, so... um, his message is basically to the unknown God. That's, that's, uh, that would be my title for uh, Paul's sermon. So here, verses 16 and 17, to the unknown God, or the unknown God. He's going to tell them about the unknown God. There's a God, they have many gods, but there's one that they call the unknown God, and he says, I'm going to tell you about him, because the one you don't know, he's the real God. And the unknown God is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So beginning in verse 16, we read, now while Paul waited for them at Athens. So apparently Paul is alone. You know, he's, he's got a little uh, a group of people that are traveling with him on his missions trip, the second missions trip. And he has arrived early to the very famous city of ancient Athens, but he's by himself. And we read, while Paul waited for them, the others at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. And therefore he reasoned in the synagogue, of course Paul always went, uh, whatever city he went to, he went to find his Jewish brothers and sisters first to share with them, hey, our our long-awaited Messiah has come and his name is Yeshua of Nazareth. So Paul follows his pattern. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. Even at that time, there were many Greeks who kind of gave up on you know, the Greek gods and goddesses and religion and kind of it made sense to them, no, there's one God 
and a bigger God and a greater God, and that would be the God of the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they were all together in this synagogue and in the marketplace. So Paul's even sharing when he's walking around the city daily with those who happened to be there. So here's what I want to say. The main point of this story and what's going to happen as Paul preaches about Jesus to the ancient people of Athens is that he's walking around the city and um, I think Paul probably did what any of us would do if, you know, he's there, he's by himself. Maybe he has never been to Athens before. It's a very famous city, a very well-known city. Lots of beautiful buildings and temples. And so Paul does the tourist thing. Of course, he's always praying as he's touring around. But as he walks through, everywhere he goes, I mean, literally, Every few feet is another statue of another god or another goddess, another building, another temple, another place of sacrifice, another worship, another Greek myth, another legend, another story, over and over and over again. And and Paul could not literally walk from one corner to the next corner without running into all these gods and goddesses and these religions and he began to be burdened because he realized they don't know the Lord, but they're, they're very religious, uh, they're spiritual, they're yearning, they're hungering. And so he is invited, uh, he will be invited to Athens and to this beautiful place called the Areopagus. It was the center of art, beauty, culture, and knowledge. And at the time of Paul's visit, Athens was the great university center of the Roman world. So Paul is, is cruising around. Now, the, the Greeks had given lots of myths and lots of legends, and they had literally thousands of gods and goddesses. And they had all of these stories. Now, many of you, you know, going through our own education, we studied, remember that period of the Greeks and the mythology and the various ones. Now, what's amazing is that's, those days, 2,000 years ago, those, those people believed in every one of those gods and goddesses. Every story to them was real, and they were real gods and real goddesses. But interestingly, as, you know, we would note, and why people don't, worship them, maybe even to this day, is that the gods and goddesses acted a lot like people. <laughs> they were mad, they had rivalries, they had ambitions, they, they would trick one another, and there were all of these stories. And in many ways, the gods acted very much like the human beings, except they had superpowers. So here we are, so sophisticated in the year 2021, but have you ever heard of Marvel Comics? Superheroes, DC. So we still, okay, so we don't worship them, uh, but we almost do. We go to the movies and we see the stories and the legends and they have superpowers, but they've got problems and they're not perfect. So it's entertaining. And in many ways it was entertaining then as it is even to this day. But most of the people, they were literally, let's say from when Greece uh, ruled, and they believed in all these gods and goddesses. Now, less and less people actually believed in them, they, but they still honored it. It was still their tradition. It was still part of their practice. And you know, so Paul admiring their history, which was rich, 
the sculptures, the beautiful uh, works of art, but he knew that there was a root to this and that root was idolatry. And Paul knew this, that idolatry always is, is worshiping of demons. So you have to be very, very careful. You can say, well, we don't really believe in them. We don't really trust in them. We don't really pray to them or whatever, but you follow them and you get into a, you're watching and you're getting engaged emotionally and you're following all of this around. And, and what was happening is there was, there was a point in which, uh, you know, Greek culture, of course, they were conquered by the Romans. The Romans were just a bigger, better, you know, army and they totally crushed Greece. But because Rome didn't have a whole lot of Roman culture, Rome took over because they had this big military, but they kind of borrowed the Greek culture. So as time went on, you've got a Rome that is seated upon a Greek background culture, but over the centuries, Little by little, people are going, we don't really believe in these gods or really believe in these goddesses, but we're on a spiritual uh, hunt. Uh, we're thirsty. We're looking for them. So Paul faced a very challenging audience in Athens. It was culture. It was educated. Uh, it was a city that was proud of its history. It was an intellectual center. It would be like going to Oxford or Cambridge or in America, going to Harvard or Yale. People that are very smart and very intellectual and they have a spirituality, but it's kind of hidden within all of this philosophy. That's what Paul is now in the midst of. And I can imagine as he's walking around and observing all of this idolatry, all of these temples. In fact, they had a saying that people were shocked who had never been to Athens when they got to Athens. Literally, there were so many statues of gods and goddesses everywhere that people said there's more gods and goddesses than there are actual human beings. It was just filled with all of that. So now look with me in verses 18 through 21. I'm gonna read verses 18 through 21. It says, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, of course, there you've got, uh, you know, that, that Greek background, uh, Epicurean, Stoic philosophers encountered Paul. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? They're going, what is he babbling about? We've never heard anything like this crazy story he's talking about ever. I mean, this goes above and beyond even the gods, what he's talking about, this Jesus of Nazareth. And others said, well, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we've got thousands of gods and goddesses and stories and myths and legends, but we've never heard anything like this Paul, this Hebrew, this Jewish guy talking about Yeshua of Nazareth. Because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Note, they had never heard a story like this in their lives. There was nothing to compare with the story of Jesus who died on the cross and then literally, physically, in the same body that was beaten and that was tortured and that was nailed to the cross and then taken down and buried in a tomb and then on the third day 
And as Paul would have surely shared with them, according to the ancient Hebrew prophets who were seers into the future by the supernatural creator God that showed them what would happen, predicted accurately on the third day he would rise from the dead. So they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things, means interesting things, to our ears. And therefore we want to know what these things mean. They're curious. They want to hear more. They're not attacking him. It's just so fresh and so new. It becomes the buzz. Now if you can imagine, never heard this before, all the, the Areopagus had a group of men, had a court, about 30 of them, and they kind of are the ones that would allow different speakers to come. And so now the word spreads that the council has invited this guy that's saying things we've never heard before. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So here's what I want to share with you, verses 18 through 21. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it's this. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. So what I'm saying is the gospel has always, here's these Athenians, they're like, yeah, we want to hear something new. Uh, Because they were lost, they were always trying to find a new religion. After praying years and maybe generations to statue, God, whatever, X, and never having a prayer answered, never having any you know, response or miracle or help, they would find a new God and start praying to the new one. So they would go to a new religion, they would go to a new God, they would look for a new philosophy, a new thought, a new way to believe. They, they, in fact, it was a fad. And they kept going for some new thing. Why didn't they just stop and say, you know what? We never get any answer because there was something driving them. There was a hunger within them. There was a thirst. And if I can say this, I'm sure you've heard it before. Within every one of the seven billion human hearts and souls on the planet Earth tonight, there is within every single human being a hunger for their creator. There is a spiritual thirst for a connection with our creator. And it never, if you'd never find Jesus, you're never satisfied. You cannot put it away. It's a hunger that gnaws at you from the inside and continues to drive them. So this is very, very powerful. And what this teaches us is, what Paul's gonna share with them is something very old. But for them will be very new. As Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, long, long ago, there is nothing new under the sun. And I love that. Now, there's two groups of people. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Epicureans. Probably you've heard a little bit about the Stoics and Stoicism. So let me just break it down for you real quick. Because these two groups talk to all their friends you know, they, they texted all their friends in ancient texting, whatever that was, throwing rocks on their windows and said, hey, we got to hear this guy. Well, the Epicureans believed several things. Number one, here's their philosophy, and there are Epicureans still today. Number one, they believed that the purpose of life is merely pleasure <laughs> because life is short, life is cruel, life is hard, and then you die. 
So they're like, we're just gonna try to get as much pleasure as we possibly can. The chief end of man is just to enjoy life and have fun. Number two, they believed everything happens by chance. There's no rhyme, there's no reason, past is meaningless, so who cares about where we came from, our genealogy, our roots, or for that matter, whatever speculation you have for the future. And Epicurean was like, hey, it's kind of like the beer commercial, grab for all the gusto you can, you only go around once in life. It's like live for the moment. That's an Epicurean. Thirdly, death is the end. You turn the light switch off, you're done, and that's it. And fourthly, they were basically atheists. There is no God, there is no creator, we're just kind of here for, it's like we got thrown into a movie, we go through it a little bit, then we die and it's over with. They were atheists and materialists. But there was a whole other school of thought, you know, and this goes way back to the Greek times, that battled against that, and, and they were pantheists. So they're the exact opposite. The one side said, there's no meaning, there's no rhyme, no reason, there's no God, there's nothing. The Stoics said, actually, God is in everything. God's in me, God's in you, God's in the little birds, he's in nature, he's in creation, and we're part of him, and we're basically trying to become you know, lost in the bigness and the oneness of the one big spiritual God that there is. And secondly then, they believed everything that happens to you in your life, whether good or bad, was the will of this God. So you just have to accept it, whether you like it or not. Third, life's purpose was to follow your own reason and be totally self-sufficient. And basically stoic, if you, we now use it uh, as a verb to describe people, wow, he's really stoic. What it means is they don't, wanna, they don't wanna live from their emotions. They act emotionless. They go through life from reason, and they're just gonna figure it out that way, and they don't, they're not moved. They, they tell themselves, no matter what you feel inside, ignore your feelings, and just do what you think is the reasonable thing to do. Well, what's neither, can, how many would agree, neither of these philosophies works very well? Uh, because they tried it, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And even those who live by those two philosophies today don't do any better. You cannot live by pretending you're not emotional being. We're made in the image of God, God gave us emotions. And that's why when we come into a relationship with our creator, we learn how to get into the flow of our emotions, not letting them rule and dominate over us, but not ignoring them and saying they don't exist or don't matter, but they become part of us, but where you get life, meaning, and purpose is in relationship with the creator of the universe. So here's Paul, he stood in the middle of Mars Hill, and I can imagine it was gorgeous and it was beautiful and you had thousands of people with these two basic philosophies. And when Paul stood on Mars Hill, that evening, whenever he preached, he stood exactly where Socrates had stood, where Plato had stood, where Aristotle had stood and shared their philosophy of life. I think it's pretty cool that for Christianity, we have our hero, the Apostle Paul, that stood there and told the world the truth. Can I hear an amen? He told them the truth. And now we're gonna look at Paul's sermon 
And I'm just gonna bring out some of the points. Uh, and by the way, Paul's sermon is a masterpiece. I mean, I am in awe of Paul, and he was filled and anointed with the Holy Spirit. And I'm trying to imagine he's Jewish, he was raised in an Orthodox family, became a Pharisee, then became so religious, and then he's persecuting the people that were followers of Jesus as the Messiah, hounding them, beating them, holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. And he even leaves Israel to go to another country, Syria, capital of Damascus to imprison these false teachers until he is knocked to the ground, seeing the blinding light of the glorious God, the very one. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? From that blinding light, and he's saying, who is it, Lord? Like, I don't know who you are. Whoever you are, that's the light of the glory of God. That's the Shekinah glory. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua of Nazareth. Can you imagine what a lightning bolt that was to the Pharisee who was against Jesus? And now he says, no, that's not true. He didn't rise from the dead. And there he is in the risen, resurrected, glorified body. And then God takes that radical, anti-missionary, anti-Christian Pharisee, turns him around and becomes the leading apostle to the Gentiles around the world saying, let me tell you, let me tell you about my people, our God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, the Messiah, and he came and I didn't believe in him. And then I saw him, he is risen from the dead. I mean, man, Paul, gosh, I wish, I, I hope there's, I don't know, DVDs in heaven or something where we can watch. How many would like to go with me? Let's go one night and we'll watch Paul deliver his sermon on Mars Hill. So anyway, um, okay, look with me at beginning of verse 22. So I'm gonna go through these, just make points, but read through. This is Paul's sermon in that environment. So there are no Jews there. They have no, they don't know Abraham from Adam. So how do you reach them with the gospel? Verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so number one, verse 22, God is sought by man. Paul notes, hey, and, and here's a good thing. So if we can learn something of how to share with friends, neighbors, you know, when you have an opportunity, Notice he, he, he starts with building a bridge. He starts with complimenting them on something that is positive and that is good. Instead of, now, how, how well would his speech begin if he started off with, man, you guys are worshiping idols and idols are demons and you're going to hell. How many, how many know that would not have gone over very well? That's one approach. And every once in a while, you see them down on the street, they've got the sandwich board thing and they're yelling, people repent, you're going to hell or whatever. Okay, so following the apostle Paul, he, he sees, yeah, it's all idols and yeah, idols are demons, but he goes, let me put it in a positive light. Man, you guys are really religious. <laughs> you're very spiritual. You're hungry. You're searching. You want to know God. Paul notes that they are restless. Oh, this is so cool. I wanna share this with you. 
because this is inside information that we all are being given tonight. This is intel on every unbeliever in your family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. If they don't know the Lord, they are battling 24-7 an inner restlessness. Saint Augustine is the one who said that my soul was restless until I found my rest in the Lord Jesus. That's the first thing I remember when I heard the gospel, Billy Graham, invitation, walk forward, pray the sinner's prayer, forgive me of my sins, fill me with your spirit, give me the gift of eternal life. Immediately at the age of 10, I sovereignly and supernaturally experienced a peace in my life that has never left. It has only grown deeper and more wonderful. So people are hungry, they're yearning. Uh, they're yearning for a covering. They're yearning for protection. They're yearning for a connection with God. And they're yearning for provision. God is sought by men. Look at now verse 23. God is not hidden or unknown. He says, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, and again, he doesn't blast them for idol worship or demons right now. He just says, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. And therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Man, I love that. Paul is smart. He's going around. And this particular statue, there were a number of them at different odd places throughout Athens. And it was to the same God, to the unknown God. Do you know where that comes from? Where did the unknown God come from? Well, number one, they wanted to literally cover all their bases. There's maybe one we don't know, so let's make a statue to the unknown God. But there was another story in Athens, 600 years earlier. You know how cities have histories and they become legends that become part of the story of who you are as a community. There is a story that 600 years earlier, there was a virus plague that came to Athens and was killing people of all ages, left and right, and everything, every, you know, herb, everything, medicine, everything that they tried, nothing was working, and there was this guy named Epimenides, and he had an idea, and they were like, hey, nothing else is working, what's your idea? He said, let's get the biggest flock of sheep you can. He goes, some black and some white, and, and then take them from the Areopagus and let them go. And when we let them go, wherever they, they stop, he goes, then we'll sacrifice them. That will become a, a sacrifice. It's very interesting that in this Greek culture, 600 years before this, they had a concept within humanity that if you sacrifice a lamb and shed its blood, that it would have some efficacy of removing illnesses or whatever. Something maybe that went all the way back to human history in the Garden of Eden. You know what's interesting? When they did that, the plague left. Now, I believe that God allowed that to happen because now 600 years later, God sent his son, Paul, and Paul goes to them and says, I need to tell you, we all have a plague, we all have an illness, 
and it just so happens there's a lamb who is called the son of God, who is without spot or blemish, and he was sacrificed on an altar, and he takes away not only our sicknesses, but he takes away that restlessness, that emptiness, and that sin within us. Could God have set Paul up with a story in the history? Absolutely. I believe that God, there are no coincidences in history. And can you imagine as all of these people of all ages who have a community history of who we are and here this strange guy comes, he's a Jew, a Hebrew, telling us about another God and he has this story about a lamb that with his, is sacrificed and it heals everything. I believe that God set up Athens for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now look with me in verses 24 and 25. He tells them, now God, this unknown God, he's the one you need to know, is the creator. Look at verses 24 and 25. And 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. So I love that. Um, God is the creator. He does not dwell in temples made with men's hands. He is the sole source of our existence, and he's not far off somewhere. People have this weird idea. Wow, Christians are weird. They believe that there's some man sitting on a little throne floating around in outer space. <laughs> no, no, we do not. There is another world. There, there, and it's a, an entire world. It's an entire kingdom. And within that kingdom is a center of its government. It's spiritual, it's supernatural. And upon that throne sits the risen Lamb of God who came to the earth. So God is the creator. He is the one God who created all things. So it's not that everything is God, but it is that everything that is made was made by God, and therefore we can know him and have a relationship with him. Look at verse 26. God guides the history of all humanity and nations. In verse 26, he said, and he was made, he has made from one blood, one human being, every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now that was a deep one and a powerful one, but he is saying all men, all women, and all people are appointed a time to live. God has given you a space of time. It has been given to you by your creator. He made you, he created you, he chose you to live when you live and where you live, and he's given bounds within which you do live, and he is the one that set up this whole world, and he is your God, he is your creator. And then in verses 27 through 29, God's purpose in creating us, so this God, okay, so there's one, and he made everything, and it's all about him. God's purpose in creating us is that we might find him and know him. Do you realize what this means? 
that he is saying, take that plaque off that statue that says to the unknown God. Number one, it's just a statue. But there is a real God, one God, the creator God, and you can find him and know him. So look with me in verse 27. Paul said, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Ooh, I would love to have, you could feel the spirit move and come literally to touch everyone who was there listening to this man. They're hanging on every word. He goes, he's not far off. He's not way out in outer space. He's right here. He's in this place and he's so close to you right now. For in him we live and move and have our being as also some of your own prophets have said. Paul quotes, they're poets. He can't quote scripture because they don't know scripture. But he quotes one of their poets who happened to write a poem who said something that was true. Look, all truth belongs to God. Can I hear an amen? If it's true, it's of God. And what this poet wrote was true. For we are also his offspring. That's true. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. So what he is saying here is that God can be found. How close is he? He is the God in whom you live and move and have your being. He's as close as your breath. And literally, it was God who breathed life into you. You're breathing the very atmosphere of the creator. The spirit is here in this Areopagus, on this Mars hill. He's right there with you, ready to enter into you like a breath. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead and there were his disciples and we read this interesting little verse and then Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Where did that come from? All the way back in Genesis when God made Adam out of the clay and the dust of the earth and then God brought his Adam's face up whom he had made in his own image and after his own likeness and he breathed into his nostrils. So Jesus breathed, because he was one with the Father, life and the Spirit into them. So he's telling this whole crowd, it's not hard. He's not far away. He's literally a breath away. He brought the gospel right to every single one of them. We are the offspring of God. And the point of that we are the offspring of God means that these idols can't be gods because you made them. So the little statues are less than you. You carve eyes on them, but they can't see. You carve little ears on your idols, but they can't hear. You carve little mouths on your idols, but they can't speak. So they're less than you. So you've got to look up to the one who made and created you. So then in verse 30, God demands, two more points. God demands that all men repent. Woo, Paul, he's bringing, he's bringing repentance into the Areopagus of Mars Hill in Athens, the philosophy city. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. He goes, look, God's not mad at you. That's another thing that, you know, people want to run to the world and say, God's angry, he's gonna burn you with fire forever. 
No, God is brokenhearted. God loves us. He's trying to save us from the fire and the fires of hell. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. Amen? Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So God demands that we all repent. We shouldn't worship idols of any sort, any kind, whether visible or invisible, made of materials or imagination. And finally, verse 31, God has appointed a day to judge the world. So he brings it all the way home because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world, meaning every one of you listening to me here at the Areopagus on Mars Hill in righteousness by the man who Paul had no doubt been preaching about, Jesus, whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Man, this was mind-boggling to them. This God, incarnation through this Jesus, who died as a lamb, who rose from the dead, is resurrected. He'll be your judge. You need to get right with him in order to prepare because the whole world one day is gonna stand before this man who rose from the dead, who gave his life to be sacrificed like a lamb. You Athenians know the story and the history. And by believing in him, you can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but you'll have to answer to him. So in closing, verse 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some, so here's the crowd, here's the responses of any crowd hearing the gospel, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Like I never heard that before, I need to chew on that, I need to think about that. And if somebody says that to you when you're sharing the gospel with them, praise God. They didn't close the door, they didn't say don't ever talk to me again. Sometimes it takes time. How many of you, it took you a little time before you finally made your decision, right? So that's good. So Paul departed from among them, and however some men joined him and believed, and among them was Dionysius the Areopagite, who was a member of that ruling 30 of the Areopagus. Uh, so one of the top guys, one of the top 30 men of Athens became a believer in Jesus Christ. Is that cool? And then a woman who was named Demarius and others with them. So it was a huge success. Paul planted the gospel. There were believers and a church, literally, though small, got planted in Athens and from Athens, it would spread throughout Greece. And, you know, Greece, the first missionary, Maranatha Chapel, uh, we had a young couple that when I started the church back in 1984 in Mira Mesa in a little junior high school auditorium called Wangenheim Junior High School. And there was this uh, young couple there, Steve and Aaron, and they said, Pastor Ray, we, we feel called of God to go on the mission field. We would like Maranatha to sponsor us and to send us. And the first, and we sent them, and they went and planted a church in Thessaloniki, Greece. That was our first missionary family. They went to Thessaloniki, where Thessalonians comes from. Paul wrote two letters to them. So I have a very dear uh, connection with Greece. I've been able to travel there. It's extremely beautiful if you've ever been there or ever get to go there, but it's a wonderful place. And there to this day are lovers, followers, men, women, boys, and girls of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a strong 
Christian community in Greece today because Paul went and shared with them in Athens 2,000 years ago in Acts 17. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.